Amen, my brothers and sisters. Guess what today is? Church. It's church. <laughs> no. No. Thank you, Pastor Brian. We're finishing the Sermon on the Mount. We've been here for a year and a half. And uh, today we're finishing the Sermon on the Mount. So praise God. It's been a, a good journey. But today, if you remember last week, in fact, let's pray before we go further. Lord, we thank you for your grace that you've given us this morning, your mercy, Lord God. We thank you for the voice that you have given us, God. Lord, it's just, just man, God, my soul is on fire just singing songs to you, praising you, God, for your goodness, Lord, your salvation, your plan, your work. Lord, the, the work of your hand, God, in creation, Lord, your plan of salvation, of redeeming us from sin, Satan, and death, Lord, and bringing us to yourself, allowing us to enter into your eternal kingdom and be with you forever, God. We praise you. Our souls are on fire because of that. And God, we ask for more grace, Lord, as we study your word, your scripture, God. Help us to see your truth, Lord. Help us to see you in it. Oh, Lord, we praise you. We thank you for keeping us throughout these year and a half, God, of studying your word, God, making us better by your scripture, Lord. Helping us to understand how to walk in righteousness and holiness. God, help us to go further. Help us to see you clearly in your word. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, last week we were, the topic was true conversion, right? Remember we were discussing that. And if you weren't here last week, we were talking about how many people have, in America, I think 70% of people said that they're Christian. And we know that that's not the case, right? And we said it's not the case. But the reason many people believe that they're believers is because of a lot of bad teaching, right? A lot of the, we call it the easy believism, come and just repeat this prayer after me and now you're saved. And many people have done that and they believe they're saved because they repeated this prayer when they were six. And we, we also discussed how some people uh, are deluded in their salvation in their relationship with Jesus. Why? Based on blessings that they perceive as coming from God. They believe that, oh, because God has blessed me or I've received these things, that means that I am saved. I know Jesus. I know God. But we also looked that that's not the case as well, because there's this thing called what? Common grace. Remember, we talked about common grace. And so because God is good, he allows his grace to go to all, even unbelievers. And so just because you're receiving blessings did not mean that you are saved or that you even know Jesus. So we, we can't base our salvation on those things. But we've seen that the thing that gives us an assurance of our salvation is that we keep the commandments of the Lord as we follow Jesus. Yeah. Because he makes us new creatures. And we're made as new creatures to do good works. So as we walk in those good works, that's an evidence of our salvation that we keep his commandments, that we follow the words of Jesus. That's true conversion. That's one of the evidences of true conversion. And today we'll do, I guess you would say, a part two of true conversion. But it'll really just take us to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. But today, before we get into Matthew 7, which is where our text is, I want us to go somewhere else as a primer to get us prepared for Matthew 7. Okay? And that is Acts 17.21. So I want you to go there before we go to Matthew chapter 7. This is a prep, uh, a primer, if you will. Acts chapter 17, 
And just kind of give you an FYI of, of where we're going and where we're headed. Normally, I have around 11 pages of notes. Today, I have half of that. Why? The purpose is I, I want to get to this briefly, and I want us to spend the rest of our time in prayer on the Sermon on the Mount, praying about having the, the things that we've read, the Beatitudes, seeing it in our own lives. So I don't expect this to be long, but I don't know how God's going to work. So I'm just kind of giving you a heads up. So Acts 17, 21, I want you to see this before we get into Matthew 7, 24 and on down. And this is Paul. Paul is going to be at Mars, Mars Hill. And look what it says, Acts 17, 21. It says now, and I want to just, you see, if you have a text, this may be italicized this verse, or maybe in like a, uh, uh, what do you call that? Parenthesis. Parenthesis. There you go. The reason why is because the scripture, the writer's actually given us his own commentary, which is pretty cool. I know we like commentaries, but the scripture, the writer's now given us his own commentary about what he's telling us about. So that's the beauty of the scripture. You'll see that oftentimes where a writer will insert himself in there and give his own commentary about what he's describing. So now he's given us his commentary in 21. He says, now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there matter of fact i'm gonna step let's go back up to 19 because he says there and you won't know what he's talking about go back to 19 this is paul he's preaching in front of all of these these pagan gentiles and so they're going to take him to this place called the areopagus because he's now proclaiming this new teaching this new deity that nobody has heard before so they says and they took him and brought him to the areopagus saying May we know what this new teaching is, which you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. So we want to know what these things mean. 21. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there, the Areopagus, Mars Hill, used to spend, look, their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. This is the Areopagus. This is Mars Hill. It's called Mars Hill because the Romans believed that their god Mars was like born there or something like that. So it's the Areopagus, also known as Mars Hill. And the writer says here that the Athenians, the Athenians and the strangers visiting there would spend all of their time there just discussing the latest and the newest teaching, the latest and the, the, the newest fad. They would go there, maybe they get something that tickles their ear, they hear a good message, and they go, they maybe go home and tell it to their wives, and they go back the next day to hear what is the next new thing, what is the next new great message, what is the next good thing I'm going to hear. Let's let's hear some new teaching, let's hear some of the latest things, and let me take that home, and let me go back home, and let me come back to the Areopagus, and let me get some more of this good teaching, let's discuss more of some of the new things that's going on and on and on. When I read that, I'm like, oh, Lord, that seems like a total waste of time to just spend your time just hearing new teachings and just hearing new doctrines and hearing new things. It seems like you can be doing better things with your life. Some of you are saying, okay, Jerome, it's good. You're highlighting what these pagans were doing at the Areopagus. But what does this have to do with Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount? What does this have to do with anything I'm concerned that as a Christian, and today this talk is more of a warning and a caution to us, I'm concerned that as a Christian, 
and the church universal that we are becoming like the Areopagus or that we are headed that way where we come week in and week out to hear another sermon another teaching another word oh did you hear what John Piper said oh did you hear what Paul Washer said oh did you hear what Francis Chan said oh did you read that book more teachings that get our emotions up. We feel good and we're craving now another YouTube sermon, another teaching. And if we don't get the, the right teaching from our local church, we're going to go and get that teaching. We're going to go get our crave, our itch filled by another pastor on YouTube. We, we, we're itching for more like the Areopagus, just more teaching, more things to make me feel good, more things to give me conviction. And brothers, if we are reading this Sermon on the Mount. And if we're just taking in Jesus' teaching and just listening to it and feeling good and, and being it all, if we are not actually applying Jesus' teaching, if you're not actually applying all of the books that you're reading, if you're not actually applying all of the sermons that you are listening to, all of the small group Bible studies, all of the missional communities, if you're not actually doing what you actually read, guess what? You become just like these Athenians, just taking in a new message. A new teaching, on and on, we become just like the Athenians. See, conviction is not enough. I think we think that the, the end goal is that, oh, that I feel convicted, oh, that I feel this, this guilt, or we, we hear a great sermon and we say, oh, that broke me, or oh, I feel that right there. But conviction is not enough. If it doesn't bring or doesn't have repentance attached to it. And when I say repentance, I'm talking about in its most basic meaning of a change of mind, a change of direction. If we're just hearing teachings and not actually applying those teachings and changing our direction and changing our actions, then we are like the Athenians and the strangers visiting the Areopagus. Just taking in another nice word, another nice teaching, feeling great, feeling convicted. But if it's not bringing about change in our life, it's pointless. Now let's go to our, our text today. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 29. Jesus continuing his teaching from last week. I'm going to read verse 24 to 29 and we'll come back and discuss it. Then the word of God reads, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus speaking, everyone who hears these words of mine, and the key word, key word, if you have a Bible, highlight it, underline this word, and acts on them, and acts on them, and acts on them, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock, on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. Yet it did not fall. Why? For it had been founded on the rock. 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine. Now highlight this word here. If you have your Bible, you have a pen. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them and does not act on them and does not act on them will be like a foolish man. Who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And it fell 
and great was its fall. 28. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Now you see that Jesus here in our text today, he's, he's describing or he's concluding or continuing his teaching from verse 21 to 23 by giving us an illustration. Giving us an illustration of two people, two people, man. They're, they're building a house. And so he says the, the one who's building his house on the rock, the foundation is, is compared to the, to the guy that has heard Jesus' teaching and actually act on it and actually obeyed it and actually did what Jesus says as he commanded. And when he says Jesus is teaching, it's not just Jesus is teaching in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but because we believe in a big God and a big Jesus, we believe that Jesus has also spoken through the apostles in the rest of the 13 letters of our, the, the books of the New Testament. So we're not just talking about Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but as Jesus speaks through the apostles by the Holy Spirit, all of this is Jesus is teaching, right? So as Jesus teaches, he says, the one who hears my teaching and actually does it, he compares that person to a person who's actually building a house and they're building it on a solid foundation, a rock. And he says the, the person that, that builds his house on the sand is the person that hears his teaching. So he has heard his teaching as well and he does not act on it. So this one who hears it, Solid rock. He hears Jesus teaching. He's resting on his rock. This rock is his sound, uh, uh, salvation. He's on this rock. He's sitting on it. He's following it. And the other one, he's building a house, but there's no solid foundation. There's nothing on the ground. Why? Because he's not obeying Jesus' teaching. Now, the two, what are the two things that these gentlemen have in common? Or these ladies have in common? The two things that they have in common is that one, they're both building a house, right? They're both building a house. What is the other thing that they have in common, which is key, which is so, so vital? The other thing that they have in common is that they have both heard Jesus' teaching. That's the other major thing that they have in common. They have both heard Jesus' teaching. They have both heard the word of God proclaimed, spoken, read. They've heard it. See, this text for me, and I'm just confessing, has usually been an evangel, even, uh, I can say it, evangelistic, there we go, evangelistic text. Because I, I look at this text and I, and I ask the, the, the unbeliever, I say, what are you building your house on? Because everybody's building a house. The house represents your life. What are you building your house on? What are you building your life on? If you're not building your house, I would say, or you're not building your life on Jesus, then that house will crumble and fall by the winds and the rain, which metaphorically represents judgment, the day of judgment. Why do we, how do we know that? Because in verse 22, he says, many will say to me on that day. Remember that day is the day of judgment when you will stand before God. So he says, many will say to me on that day. See, brothers and sisters, you must understand that your house, your life will be examined and tested. Your house, your life on that day will be tried. See, this is the same thought that the Apostle Paul had with the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3. In fact, I want to show you this. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 3. I want to show you this. 
1 Corinthians 3. And I want to tell you that your house, your life will be examined. First Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 11. We're going to read down to 15. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Corinth. He's using the same language here that Jesus was using. Remember that foundation? He says, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ, right? That matches hand in hand with what Jesus is saying. His teaching, this is Jesus. He is the foundation. So Jesus has to be the foundation of our life. He has to be the bottom of everything that we build on has to be Jesus. So that's what he's showing us here. He says that nobody can lay a foundation other than that, which is Jesus Christ. Look at 12. He says, now, if any man built on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Look, each man's work will become evident for the day. What are we talking about? The day of judgment, right? The day that we stand before God, the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire. And look, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man, a person's work. If any man's work, which he builds on it, remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So Paul here is saying what Jesus is saying. Jesus says that your house is going to be tested by the floods, the rain, the wind. Paul is saying it's going to be tested by fire. So that tells me that my life will, when I stand before God, I will have to give an account of my life. God will look at your life. Things will be considered. He will see what type of house you have built, what materials that you are using. Same thing Jesus is talking about. Now, back to our main text. As I was saying, I have typically or traditionally used this text here as a evangelical, or I guess you would say evangelistic text to speak to the unbelievers that they have to build their life, their house on something. Because if you don't have your life, your house, your foundation built on something, then it will fall. And my brothers and sisters, that is a valid application. But guess what, my brothers and sisters, that is a distant secondary application of the text. That's not the primary application of the text. Yes, you still use that. Yes, you still tell that to an unbeliever because we are all building our houses. But that is not the primary application of the text. See, the intended hearers or audience of this teaching is not the unbelieving world. That's not the intended audience that, of, of Jesus' teaching here. It is not the atheist or it's not some person in a false religion or a false faith that Jesus is aiming at or, or cautioning. The intended audience of this teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount, the intended audience, guess what, is the visible, keyword, the visible church. So we're saying, okay, visible church. What is visible church? Um, and I've mentioned this before, but I'll just kind of recap for, for some. In theology, some theologians, they make a distinction between the church visible and the church invisible. 
The church invisible are the true born again followers of Jesus following him. He's Lord, he's master, he's servant. They're part of a local church, but they're following Jesus. That's a visible church. But we know that everybody in church is not saved, right? We, we know that a lot of people, even though they may come to church on a regular basis, they may even participate from time to time in, in different events. As my, my, my old pastor would say, they may sing in the choir. Uh, he said that he would say that they may be an usher at the door. They may be a deacon. We, we know there's a lot of people in the church that are not even a part of the church. They profess that they are part of the church. They profess it, but for them, it's more of just a ritual. It's more just a religion in a pejorative sense or in a negative sense. It's just something that you traditionally do. See, they are a part of the visible church, but they're not a part of the true invisible church. So the church is made up of the true born again believers and people who are not born again. But here's the thing. Both of them, the invisible people who are not invisible people, but the people that are part of the true church and the false believers, they both profess and claim with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. They, they, they both profess and claim that they are serving him and loving him and that he is their master and their teacher. But we know that is not the case. And, and, and you would say, OK, Jerome, how do you know that that's the case? How do you know that that's the intended audience? Look at verse 21 through 23. This shows you that Jesus is speaking to the visible church. Look what he says in verse 21 through 23. He says, not not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And you go down to 21. He says, many will say to me on that day, we have prophesied in your name. We have done these mighty works in your name, Jesus. We have cast out demons in your name. We have done all of these mighty things. See, if you look in verse 21 to 23, guess what? These are not Muslims that are coming up to Jesus saying that I have done great things in your name. These are not the Buddhists who are coming up to Jesus saying that I have done many great things in your name. These are not the Hindu. These are not Sikhs that are coming up. These are not pagan worshipers of, of Zeus that are coming up proclaiming to have done something in Jesus name. They do not proclaim that they do anything in Jesus name. They proclaim that they're doing it in their God name. But the people who are coming up are professed Christians, professed believers, people who have heard the truth and word of God, and they're saying that I've done these things, but they're not really doing them. See, that's the intended audience. That's why Jesus said, you're going to come up to me saying, Lord, Lord, you're going to act like, hey, buddy, your pal, we're cool, we're good. And he's like, I, I don't know you. I, I, I've never known you. See, it's the same person that Jesus the sin who's coming up to him saying, Lord, Lord, we have done these great things in your name. It's the same person that has heard Jesus's teaching, but didn't act on it. See, the same person that said, Lord, Lord, and didn't follow Jesus's teaching, but heard it. It's the same person who has built their life on the sand. See, they've heard the teachings of Jesus. They've heard his word, but they have not acted on it. And see, brothers, when I, when I read and understand the text in this way, it scares me. Yeah. I'm scared. Why? Because we are the ones who week in and week out hear the teachings of Jesus on a regular basis. And it's the same people that Jesus is making his argument towards. 
We're the same ones that Jesus is cautioning. The people that are hearing his teaching, the people who are studying the scripture, the people that are looking at the word. See, more than any generation, more than any generation, we are saturated with the word of God. We have teachings, as I said, in our, in our churches on a regular. We have small groups. We have missional communities. We even send the word through text messages in our groups. We, we send the word through, through emails. There's, there's books everywhere with Christian material and they're legal here in the U.S. And then we can go to YouTube and just find many different sermons of people preaching word of Jesus. See, we more than any generation are in danger of being that house that built his home on the sand, who've heard Jesus' teaching over and over and over, but are not actually acting on it. See, we are in, this should scare, this should make you think twice. Because we're always talking about the word of God. We're always in our scripture. You hear it coming from me and Pastor Brian. You're coming here week after week. This should really make you think twice. We're the ones that are getting this word, that are getting this truth. The question is, are you living this out? I, I heard a pastor say, he was saying that like, one of the common sayings amongst believers that are church hopping from church to church is, oh, I'm not getting fed here. Oh, I'm not getting fed there. <laughs> I'm just trying to think how he said it. He was saying that, no, you're getting fed, fled, uh, fed plenty. See, our problem right now is not that we have get, not getting fed. The problem is, as Christians, we are spiritually obese. What that means is all we do is sit and eat word. We just sit and just give me some more teaching. Oh, give me some more Paul Washer. Oh, give me some more Francis Chan. Oh, when is that new book drop? Just give me some more word. And we're just constantly eating. It's, it's, it's like that 500 pound person that's just sitting on his bed, eating Twinkies, eating Twinkies. You're just sitting there just getting obese and saturated. Oh, one more word, a one more word, a one more word. And you're just sitting there not doing anything. See, that's what happens when you just get fat. Just take it in word. Guess what happened? It makes you lazy. You, you don't begin to do anything. See, our problem is not that we need more word. We need to live out more word. It's not just taking in more word because if we just take in more word, guess what? We become like the Athenians and the strangers at the Areopagus just taking in more new teaching. It's not just more hearing, brothers and sisters. It's more doing more living out his truth. And when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, as, you, as, you, as, you, as we dial in a little bit more, remember Jesus is giving us this caution at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, guess what, which is mostly centered on our relationships with one another, other humans. See, Jesus cares how we interact with one another. See, guess what, in the Sermon on the Mount, there was very little repentance in the Sermon on the Mount. There was very little turning from sin and personal salvation in the sermon. This sermon dealt with the people right around you. That's what this sermon was. It was about our personal relationships with one another and as being kingdom people and living out Jesus' call. See, when we read that Jesus says, blessed are the meek, he's not talking about being meek towards God. He's talking about being meek towards other people. 
When Jesus says blessed are the merciful, he's not talking about being merciful towards God. We can't be merciful towards God. He's talking about being merciful what towards other people. When he says to let your yes be yes and your no be no, he's talking about in your dealings with other people being a person of your word. When he says not to take up vengeance and turn the other cheek, he's not talking about against God. He's talking about against other people. That's Matthew 5, 39. He's telling us that we ought to be willing to give the shirt off of our back, Matthew 5, 40. He wants us to demonstrate common grace by loving our enemies and those who may not even deserve it. See, brothers and sisters, you're responsible for what we have gone over this whole past year. You're responsible to live this out. Please. Please. I, I, I want to make this. How do I say this? Please do not, in your zeal for sharing the gospel, cause, do not allow that zeal to cause you to fall in these other areas of Jesus' teaching. Please don't let that zeal of being adamant about sharing the gospel call you to slip and fall in the other areas of Jesus' teaching. Why do I say that? Because Paul said that, or he spoke to that in 1 Corinthians 9. Turn with me there. First, First Corinthians nine. I just want you to see twenty six and twenty seven. Yeah. All these areas of Jesus teaching in the Sermon on Mount, all of them are important, and I don't want us because we're so. Focus on one that we forget all these other ones, which can cause an effect on the one that we're focusing on. And Paul says this in speaking to the Corinthians. In 9.26, he says, Therefore I run in such a way, not as without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but he says, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, after I have preached to others, after I have shared Jesus with others, after I have proclaimed the gospel, I myself will not be disqualified. Brothers and sisters, what a great shame it would be to be a strong prophetic teacher of the word, strong preacher of the gospel in the public, to be getting destroyed by lust in the darkness. What a shame it would be. What a shame it would be to be a great gospel teacher proclaiming the gospel in public, but yet have no meekness like the Beatitude says. See, that would be a great shame, my brothers and sisters. See, there have been many great pastors and teachers who could preach the gospel to the cows come home who we find dwelling in sin, dwelling in homosexuality, addicted to pornography, yet they could preach the gospel very good. See, we don't want to be that person that's just so over here weighted, sharing Jesus, yet our life over here doesn't line up. See, I love that our church is very evangelistic. I love that we're always talking about sharing the gospel and we're out there sharing the gospel because there are many of the churches I've been a part of them where nobody shares the gospel. And the pastor's always exhorting the church, get out there, tell somebody about Jesus. Me and Pastor Brian, that's not an area that we really have to encourage you guys on because you guys do that already. You, amen. Praise God for that. But my question is, 
Or my concern is, what about Jesus' other teachings? How are you doing in that area? Are you being meek? Are you being merciful towards others? Are you loving your enemies? Are you showing compassion? It's great, share Jesus, but be whole. Yeah. Well-rounded, not just one area, but all the areas of Christ. How's the relationship with you and your wife? How's the relationship with you and your kids? Do you even know your neighbor's name? Have you ever shook their hand? Have you talked to them? See, all these things matter. It's great that we go and share, but we have to be obedient to all of Jesus' teaching, not just one. So my brothers and sisters, the question is, will you stand on the rock? Will you believe that Jesus is not only my Savior, but is my Lord, meaning that I submit to him and obey him? See, the, church, the, the teachings in verses 24 to 27 that Jesus gives us here about listening to his word, they're about his lordship. Really, that's, it's about his lordship. Is he lord over your life as demonstrated through you being obedience to him, being obedient to him? See, this, this verse tells us in our main text, Matthew 7, 24 to 27 or 29, it, it tells us that it is not enough for Jesus just to be your savior, but that he also has to be your Lord, meaning that you submit to him and do what he says. If he is not your Lord as well, guess what will happen on the day of judgment? Your house, which looks good will crumble it will crumble even though it looks good on the outside remember those were two houses they're both building a house so on the outside they both look really nice they both got their i love jesus sticker in the window they both have their jesus placemats they look the same but there's something different, and that difference is what's on the inside. When you go into the inside of that house, you see that there's a basement and there's solid foundation. See, the difference is what's on the inside. Yeah. We may look the same. We all may go and praise the Lord, hallelujah, but what's really on the inside and what's really on the inside will come out on the outside in obedience to Jesus. That's what this tells us. So in our text, the last part of the verse, let me get back there. Jesus tells us in 28, after he's finished preaching, it says, when the crowd had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Now, I was debating if we would really go into that word authority. Some of you guys were here when we preached. We went kind of in depth on that word authority. When it says that Jesus speaks, uh, that he spoke with authority, it's not meaning that Jesus spoke with this Zeus-like authoritative voice and he's just talking well. But, and I'm just going to briefly go over this. During this first century period, they had this thing called smikha. Remember you guys remember we talked about smikha? And that was this authority that was passed to the rabbis. And so in order for you to give your own interpretation of scripture, of the Old Testament scripture, you would have to be a smikha rabbi. You have to be an approved rabbi. 
The scribes couldn't do that. The scribes could only say, Rabbi so-and-so said this, or Rabbi so-and-so said this about the law. That's why it says that Jesus, he didn't speak like the scribes. Jesus didn't go and start um, citing other rabbis and saying, this is what they said. That's what the scribes did. That's what the people in Israel, only a smicha rabbi, a rabbi with authority could actually give his own interpretation of the law. Scribes couldn't do that. And so that's why this verse is saying he spoke with an authority. He spoke and gave his own interpretation, his teachings of the law. And the reason he can do that is because guess what? He wrote the law. (laughs) He wrote the law in his occupation as the second person of the Trinity. So he can speak with this authority. Why? Because he's the one that wrote it. Well, that being said, what are we doing on time? How are we doing on time? I want to. Okay. Oh, all right. We got about a couple minutes. I want us to, again, so we don't be like the Areopagus and like the Athenians and the strangers. We got to bring some application to this. We've been in here a year and a half studying what Jesus is teaching us, how we ought to live. So I want to challenge you this, challenge you with this application. You and your family, husbands, I'm really calling on the husbands and the fathers to lead this. Go back with your family. Begin, begin to read through the Sermon on the Mount. Pick a beatitude or pick a verse. And let that verse or that beatitude be the topic of discussion for the whole week or 30 days, however you want to do it. So if it's mercy, get, I don't know, a whiteboard, something on there, mercy. This is something you and your wife are discussing, mercy what it is. You're praying about God, helping me to be more merciful. You're, you're teaching your children what mercy means. Do that for a week or 30 days. After that, go find another beatitude, find another one of Jesus' teachings. Because we don't want to just read this and just go home like, oh, that was a good, good teaching. We have to apply this word. We have to take it. So go back through there, find a principle, find a topic and pray and ask God to help you live it out. Pray and ask God to help you understand it. Ask God to help you walk this thing out. Let's not just be hearers of the word, as James would say, but let's be doers of the word. Amen.